Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Thanks for being with us. In this episode, we ask the one question no one seems to ask about Donald Trump and the 78 charges he faces so far. Why do his defenders employ whataboutism as a default defense? Is the Hunter Biden probe worth the time for those who want to tie his wrongdoing to his father? Saudi Arabia extends its cut to oil production by a month. Does that mean U.S. gas prices will go up? And just what is the Republican strategy on climate change? Here we go. Donald Trump continues to crisscross America running for president yet again. Of course, I'm just stating the obvious here. This, of course, despite being the first former president to face criminal charges as he seeks the nation's highest office. In all, he faces 78, count them, 78 criminal charges with the grand jury probe in Georgia yet to conclude. Judging by what he says on the campaign trail, each charge makes him more popular. He has already established a couple of things. One, he cannot lose. And this is something he's employed before, and he got away with it, or at least got away with it in 2016, didn't get away with it in 2020. It is central to his campaign theme. If he should win the Republican nomination and lose the general election, it can only be due to voter fraud. In other words, he won no matter what. He'll continue to ring that bell even if he loses in a landslide. Second, he's a victim of a witch hunt, of the deep state, of whatever, but a victim. And the only way to end his victimhood is to return him to the White House. He also, and I give him credit for that, I don't often give him credit, but I do give him credit for this. He has said, and you know, this is something that he does continually on the campaign trail. And that is turn his victimhood into victimhood of his supporters, of people who have his back. In other words, the if they do it to me, they'll do it to you line of defense has thus far worked like a charm with Republican voters. This is due in part to the GOP rewriting the narrative of the January 6, 2021 uprising insurrection, whatever you want to call it. And that's where the deep state refrain gets its residence. Even some voters who think Trump may have broken the law believe he's a victim of a political vendetta, according to recent polls. However, there's one thing I have not heard from Trump's mouth as late. That would be a categorical denial of the charges against him. That would be 78 charges against him. You'll hear all kinds of stuff coming out of Donald Trump's mouth, but I didn't do any of this is not one of them. Sure, he's pled not guilty to every charge, but that's in court, not on the campaign trail. Maybe he doesn't think he needs to tell the faithful he's an innocent man. If fundraising is in any indication, he may not need to. So far in 2023, he's raised $34 million. There's no law, by the way, that says he can't divert money from his leadership pack, Save America, to his legal defense. 
As his legal walls mount, he's burning through cash at a feverish clip. He's got a phalanx of lawyers fighting the various charges he faces, but several of the lawyers that bolstered his stolen election claims are notably absent. Have you heard anyone mention Sidney Powell lately? That's because she's defending herself in a lawsuit brought by Dominion Voting Systems. She's saying, according to Truth Out, now brace yourself for this because this is incredible and it's kind of flown below the radar. According to Truth Out, Sidney Powell is defending herself by saying that no reasonable person should have believed her allegedly defamatory statements and claims that sought to overturn the 2020 election. I'm going to say that again. Sidney Powell's defense to the lawsuit brought by Dominion Voting Systems is nobody in their right mind would have believed anything I said. That's essentially what she's saying. Is Trump even returning her phone calls at this point? And don't get me started about Rudy Giuliani, who's facing his own troubles, criminal and civil. Leaving aside the flotsam of his former legal giants, Trump supporters, legal and otherwise, are using a time-honored strategy to deflect attention away from him. It's called whataboutism. And in this case, the deflection is toward Hunter Biden, the president's admittedly wayward son. Trump supporters are using terms like the Biden crime family and the like, not only to allow his supporters to absolve Trump, but also to give independent and swing voters the ability to throw up their hands and say, politicians all do it. Never mind the yawning gap between what Hunter Biden is accused of doing and what Trump is charged with. A cursory examination of the younger Biden's crimes and indiscretions would indicate he is no saint. And we should emphasize that. Hunter Biden is, I mean, I don't know if he's a bad person or not. I don't know him. But I do know that on a certain level, there is no real comparison between Trump and Hunter Biden. But the conservative universe and Trump world in particular have taken to try and likening Donald Trump's crimes or misdemeanors or whatever, because they think he's innocent, or, or against Hunter Biden's, to them, obvious crimes that should have had him locked up by now. Now, a House committee has been holding hearings about this, and that House committee inquiry could not lay anything at the feet of Joe Biden. They could lay stuff at Hunter Biden's feet, but not his father's. In other words, yes, Hunter Biden may have committed improprieties and yes, crimes. But to compare Trump's alleged effort to subvert democracy to Biden is absolutely laughable. Yet Trump supporters and enablers will go right on with whataboutism because to be honest, what else do they have? The House Speaker of all people talks of expunging Trump's impeachments while at the same time hinting at a probe into impeaching Biden. That's the president, not the son. Interestingly, they are vague about what impeachable offense or offenses Biden is alleged to have committed. You may be able 
to get away with whataboutism when it comes to paying off an adult film actress and even the classified stuff at Mar-a-Lago. This latest set of charges may be more difficult to what about away, if you know what I mean. Although Trump and his people are trying to lay the blame for all his legal troubles on Joe Biden and Attorney General Merrick Garland as he comes closer to trial, he may find this harder and harder to sell. Special Counsel Jack Smith has done the grunt work for the latest charges, and he's crafted a narrow narrative of Trump's effort to stay in power. He managed to avoid much of the conclusions of the January 6th committee in their investigation. And that, to me, is absolutely interesting, that Jack Smith is not leaning on the January 6th committee's findings in order to bring charges against Trump. Instead, he's focusing on the attempts to recruit fake electors in swing states and the effort to get former Vice President Mike Pence to block the certification of Biden's victory. Smith also stayed away from trying to charge Trump with inciting the January 6th insurrection. Finally, he also avoided charges involving the First Amendment, which might have been hard to prove. If I were Donald Trump, I'd feel a wee bit nervous about these latest indictments. Which hunt or not, the stakes in this case are high for him. Accountability is not usually the man's strong suit, after all. Up next, an interesting article about China and the left. Are the Chinese using progressive advocacy groups to spread positive messages about the country the West seems to fear more than any other? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, you're here with Mark Riley. It's the voice that you know and the information you can trust. Welcome back to The Intersection. A recent New York Times article purports to argue that a network of progressive advocacy groups funded by a tech millionaire have been spreading Chinese propaganda. One of those groups is Code Pink, an organization that's been advocating closer cooperation between China and the West. They've also been a force for feminism and global peace over the long term. The Times piece points out that a co-founder of Code Pink is married to this tech millionaire named Neville Roy Singham. The article goes on to intimate that Singham funds Chinese government front groups that regurgitate Chinese talking points. It's possible that every word of this piece is true, and it's further troubling that Code Pink, not to pick on them, have equivocated about the Chinese government's treatment of its Uyghur minority. Here's the thing. The Times article talks about Chinese propaganda and talking points without ever mentioning that the U.S. has similar propaganda operations throughout the world. But even this misses the point. The West, including the U.S., including the U.K., say China is an existential threat. How then is it that I went recently to a prominent department store in the U.K., to buy a belt for a relative, only to find every single belt in that store was stamped made in China. Now, you may think to yourself, well, you just looked at a cup. I looked at every single belt in the store. Men's belt. I mean, maybe women's belts are different. 
but the men's belts, all, every single one of them, said made in China. If most folks check the labels on the clothes they wear, they'll find the same thing. Apple, the most revered name in tech gear, has a large number of components for iPhones, iPads, and the like made in China. In fact, one Chinese city is even called iPhone City. Now again, assume every word of the Times article is true. How does anyone explain all the products and tech bought by Western countries that come from our so-called existential threat? One can certainly criticize the government of China, including their spying, computer hacking, the whole nine yards. I'm the last person that would say, oh no, there's no problem with the Chinese. That's not the point. One should be able to point out the hypocrisy of calling them a threat while we purchase so much, so much from them. How much, you may ask? Try half a trillion dollars annually. Neville Roy Singham says he doesn't work for any government, even though the article makes it seem like he is. By the way, it's easy for the Chinese government, and especially its media, to make the case that the West is jealous of a non-Western name rising in economic power, I should say non-Western country. Despite recent setbacks, and there have been setbacks, China has become a superpower in a relatively, some might say startlingly, short period of time. With climate change looming as a real existential threat, not just to the West, but to the planet, it just might make sense for the West to work with the Chinese, who are major polluters, by the way, to tackle greenhouse gas emissions once and for all. It may also be the right time to be straight with the American people about our real relationship with China. See, because nobody, I don't care how existential a threat people think China may be, you will not see a single politician in the United States saying, well, you know what? We ought to place a ban on Apple manufacturing their components for different products in China. We should ban Chinese imports of everything, clothing, whatever. Not going to happen, folks. So if we're talking about an existential threat, why do we so do so much business with them? It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. But yet, we are told this is what we need to swallow about the relationship with China. While we're at it, what will be the effect on U.S. gas prices now that Saudi Arabia has decided to extend a cut in oil production by a million barrels a day into next month? The Saudis say they're doing it to keep prices high, which it certainly will have the effect of doing. And even though gas prices at the pump are lower than they were a year ago, they've seen a recent rise. This, of course, will have an effect, if it lasts, on the presidential race. I've said before, incumbents take it on the chin when gas prices rise, but they almost never get credit when they fall. The price of oil, no matter what anyone says about climate change, is a global thing. And with Russia cutting its production, along with the Saudis, upward pressure on prices is inevitable. The fact that the world is scrambling to buy fossil fuels tells you all you need to know about the global commitment to fight climate change. 
Up next, Republicans in Congress have a plan to fight climate change. You're not going to like it. This is The Intersection. You're listening to Mark Riley. It's the only podcast where the world makes sense. Welcome back to The Intersection. You may have heard about the effects of climate change worldwide this summer. Hey, wait a minute. Did I say that earlier in this same podcast? Higher than normal temperatures, and that's an understatement, across the globe. Wildfires, floods, you name it. You may ask yourself, what are politicians really ready to do to combat this immediate danger? Well, when it comes to Republicans, the answer is... Not all that much. In fact, conservative think tanks have come together to propose dismantling what few attempts at fighting climate change are now being made. If that sounds ridiculous to you, you are not alone. We spoke last episode about Project 2025, a a project that is of the Conservative Heritage Foundation led by them that lays out priorities for a Republican administration's first 180 days. The plan reportedly calls for getting rid of most efforts to fight climate change. This would involve dismantling almost every clean air regulation currently in force. Apparently, the replacement would be boosting production of fossil fuels, the major component of the climate crisis we now face. I must say this alone, would be reason to abandon the GOP en masse if it's to be taken seriously. Yet one poll cited in a published report on the plan says 70% of Republicans think climate change is but a small threat or no threat at all. Maybe they're talking about a different planet. It should be noted that some of the people involved in crafting Project 2025 are straight up climate deniers, and some of them used to work for, guess who? Donald Trump. Chief among their goals would be the reversal of an EPA finding from 2009 that asserts that carbon dioxide emissions are a danger to health. And all this coming from right-wing think tanks that seem bent on ignoring what so many people, even in the U.S., are experiencing on a daily basis. That would be, folks, the reality of climate change. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.